the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Thursday. We're getting closer and closer to Friday. you got to be happy about that because that means that the next day is Saturday. And for most of us, that's going to mean that we're not going to be working. It doesn't mean that for me. I'll be, I'll be here for about three hours on Saturday doing my thing with the car and truck doctors. But then, uh, you know, then I'll be off until uh, Monday. And that's always a good thing uh, for me. Uh, we're setting up a great show for next week, just so you'll know. Uh, a lot of different uh, guests are going to come uh, on. I just got um, new state sender Brian King set up for uh, next Thursday. He'll be with us in the, the last hour. Doyle Webb will be one of our 9 o'clock hour uh, visitors, and we'll be hearing from uh, Susie Everett of Everett Motors. She's got a special uh, group of people that we want to talk about uh, on the air. I know that we're going to have uh, Harding University on here in the next couple of weeks, and we'll be talking about what new uh, things that they have coming up, so they'll be here part of the Dave Ellswick show as well. Uh, In the 9 o'clock hour today, you'll want to be around because we're going to talk about something that many of you have texted me about, you've called me about, uh, you've been on the air about, and that has to be China buying up land here in the United States. And uh, we're going to have uh, Dustin Carmack on today from the Heritage Foundation to talk specifically about this. And it is, is it something that we need to, uh, to worry about? So uh, we'll, we'll talk to him uh, about that later uh, on today. Uh, Here in this first segment, I'd like to talk about, you know, all of these uh, protests that have been going on by the left uh, dealing uh, with the uh, the Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court. And, of course, the first thing that was going on uh, when it came down is, oh, my God, we've lost abortion rights all across the United States. And that's not what happened. Uh, What the Dobbs decision did is take us back to about 1973, uh, the way that it used to be, which was it was a state's rights issue, abortion was, which meant each individual state would make up their mind uh, with their laws about how uh, abortion was to be viewed. And uh, we saw the Supreme Court's decision play out just here in the last few days 
and hopefully it mitigates some of this insanity we've seen uh, from the left in some of the things they're saying because it's been nothing more than a perpetrated lie that's been going on for decades about how uh, if we ever got rid of Roe v. Wade, uh, they'd make abortion illegal in every state in the union. Well, it wasn't that way when Roe v. Wade was passed, and it's not going to be that way now that uh, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Look, Roe v. Wade was bad jurisprudence. It was just bad law. Even, uh, you know, uh, some of the Supreme Court justices were saying that. Ginsburg said that, that it was it was weak, very, very weak. I mean, they made that law up, that decision out of whole cloth. There wasn't anything to hang their hat on about a right to privacy. And uh, that's what they hung their hat on, and it finally uh, got called, and it got overturned. And it got sent back to the states again. When the Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade and Casey uh, and, um, and said, look, this needs to be back to where it should be. It should be uh, in the uh, in the in the states, and they should make up uh, their own minds about it. And that, that's the way it should be. People should have been freaking out. It meant that uh, you know, if you were fighting uh, for abortion rights, and uh, things weren't going exactly the way you wanted in your state, you could still fight against what the state was trying to do. And if you were a pro-life person, like I am, it meant that we have to be on our guard because it's not to say that the political winds cannot change and that there are not people that would want to make abortion a, a, a legal part of the law again in the state of Arkansas. So with, with that in mind, let's look at what happened in Kansas uh, here on uh, early this week, the people went to the polls and they uh, they they decided amongst themselves how they wanted it. Did they want abortion to be available, or did they want it to be totally illegal? And the pro-choice people won. Abortion wasn't made illegal in Kansas. In fact, uh, it was kept legal the way it was. And, uh, you know, they didn't get rid of it. The thing that I find so amazing about this uh, is how the pro-choice, or as I call them, the pro-death side, because there's all, when an abortion happens, a death is going, is going to happen. Somebody's going to die. And it's uh, the unborn child. And I think uh, if you sit down and think about it a little bit, you'd have to admit that it's a life. And it's a human life. You know, it's not a tomato that's forming in the womb. It's a, it's a human life. 
and for expediency and for, you know, uh, the woman saying, I'm not ready to have a child right now or whatever, uh, they are going to make the decision to say, uh, I want the ability to kill that child. I want to be able to go to a hospital or go to a clinic and have a professional kill my child that's uh, in my womb. Well, that's the argument. Both sides of the argument. I just gave it to you. It's pretty simple, the both sides of the argument. And it's a very emotional argument for the most part. And if you watched when the votes came in uh, this week, that in uh, Kansas, they weren't getting rid of abortion. They were holding that right uh, as a legal right uh, for Kansans. Uh, you would think that the kid, the, these people had won the lottery. They were jumping up and down and hugging and kissing each other. And look how great this is. This is fantastic. And I just shake my head. How can you sit down and feel that good about a piece of legislation whose end result is the death of of a child I don't get that I, I just do not understand that and I can't, can't get my my, uh, my hands around it I haven't been able to get my hands around abortion ever since I really became aware of it and uh, you know started talking about it and saying well I shouldn't be forced to have a baby. Well, you, you know, unless it's rape or incest, you're not forced to have sex. You know, let me ask Aaron. Hey, Aaron, is, is there any law in the United States of America that says at the age of 13 that a, a young woman must have sex? Is there anything that's on no, the... there's not. There isn't, is there? Okay. So nothing there for men that they've got to have, uh, they've got to have uh, sex as well. So, uh, you, if you have sex, that's a decision. And part of the problem about sex is that it's the number one reason for having, uh, for having it. It's not because you feel good when you're having it. That is, uh, that's, that's what causes you to go out and have it uh, because it feels good. If, things are, if something feels good, it tends to promote whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, it's, it's for procreation. Now, I'm not saying that's what just sex is for. But that is what it is. Its number one uh, issue is that's the number one thing that it's supposed to do is to produce another human being. And uh, as far as I know, at least the people I hung out with, we all knew that that was all in your mind because you knew a pregnancy could result. That's why uh, a lot of girls said no. Uh, it's uh, why a lot of girls who said yes said that uh, they went out and got on the pill or they, they had an IUD put in or they made their, uh, their, their lover uh, wear a condom. And that's, uh, those are the, the, the reasons those devices were used. You know, I don't think you should make those devices illegal. They should be available to somebody who wants to get it. 
I mean, I knew guys that I went to high school. They didn't tell their parents. They had gone down to the local uh, Walgreens or whatever, you know, drugstore they went to and bought themselves, you know, some condoms and uh, stuck them in your wallet and probably never used them, a lot of the guys. And sometime in, while they were in college, they pulled out the condoms that they bought when they were a freshman in high school, and they're all dried up and no good. I mean, I mean it, it was just the way it was in the day. Everybody knew what the main result could be from having sex. You could get pregnant. Now, I agree that in our culture, uh, men are treated differently than women are about that. It's something that I've been talking to legislators uh, about, and we're going to have to see what happens. But I believe that if you are proven that you're the father of an unwed uh, of a child that an unwed uh, person is going to have, that you should be the one that has to help take care of it. Shouldn't be able to just walk away from it. They should put uh, some way of, uh, they should take money from your paycheck or whatever. But my main part of talking about this is this reason. The Supreme Court, when they made their ruling, said it was up to the states. And it worked out perfectly. Because the voters in Kansas decided they didn't want to make abortion illegal. Not my, would not have been my choice, but it was the choice of the people in Kansas. And that is the point. That was the people of Kansas's choice. They made their decision. And uh, that's the way it, it should have been should have been laid out just that way. And uh, so, yeah, the Supreme Court proved to you what they did was exactly what they should have done. And uh, I'm really, uh, really happy to see that it worked out uh, that way. That's the way the Constitution is supposed to have worked, and it did. All right, when we come back, universities are embracing uh, academia's uh, woke uh, insanity, and they're crushing free speech. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then when we get back from the news at the bottom of the hour, we'll be joined by Dustin Carmack of the Heritage Foundation and talk about the CCP, you know, the Chicoms, the commies over there in China, buying up so much stuff here in the United States. We'll discuss it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Right now I want to talk about uh, PI Roofing to you and uh, what they can do for you as far as you know, taking care of your roof. Uh, if you'll give them a call at 501-707-3551, uh, they'll come out to your house. Uh, they'll get up on top of your house. They'll walk across your house. They'll look at your roof and figure out in what kind of shape it is. If it needs a brand new roof, they'll tell you that. If it has some weak spots on the roof, they'll tell you that as well. Maybe it's just flashing around a chimney or something. They'll tell you that as well. 
and then they'll, they'll talk to you about fixing it. Uh, they'll get with your insurance company. They'll have their appraiser come out. They'll walk the roof with them. Uh, they'll discuss it with them, and uh, they'll come up with a, a final price and uh, what they're going to do and how much the insurance would pay, and then they'll bring it to you, and then you make the decision on whether you want to use PI roofing or not. It's that simple. And you're going to have a group of professional people on your roof that do a fantastic job. Don't cut any corners. Make sure that your roof is in good shape. In fact, if you have a roof put on now, should be the last roof you ever have to put on your house. That's just the, the way it's set up now with all of the warranties that are out there for the products that they use for your roof. So call the professionals. Call, you know, uh, uh, Joel and call Veronica. Talk to them about it. And uh, their people will get with you and get everything underway. 501-707-3551 and online it's piroofing.com I've owned my house almost 20 years and I have used nobody else but PI Roofing. That in itself speaks volumes as far as uh, Dave Ellswick is concerned. So give them a call 501-707-3551 or visit them online piroofing.com all right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. We uh, have uh, just about, as I look here, about four minutes till we get to the news at the bottom of the hour. I saw that yesterday just uh, popped in uh, to my feed from Channel 7 that the Recreational Marijuana Initiative has been rejected by Arkansas's Board of Election Commissioners. Uh, after the decision was handed down, uh, responsible growth for Arkansas told KATV they plan to appeal the decision to the Arkansas uh, Supreme Court. Several commissioners expressed concerns related to the amount of THC allowed in edibles, adding that it's not clear whether the state can... Uh, have the total amount of milligrams under the proposal. Medical marijuana users would no longer have a limit of 10 milligrams per edible. However, the 10 milligram cap would still remain for recreational use. Another objection dis uh, discussed, the proposal would not require people who own less than 5% of a cultivation or dispensary to undergo a background check. Uh, it was just last week when the Arkansas Secretary of State's office certified the group's petition signatures. A spokesman said supporters of the proposal uh, constitutional amendment had reached the uh, 89,151 valid signatures from registered voters needed to qualify for the November ballot. And... Uh, Quoting the State Board of Election Commissioners, they said today, despite zero public opposition or testimony against it, uh, this is from Growth of uh, Arkansas, uh, the State Board of Election Commissioners refused to allow Arkansans to vote on a proposed amendment for adult use cannabis in November, even though a record number of voters signed a petition in support of placing it on the ballot. That, according to Steve 
Steve Lancaster, attorney for Responsible Growth for Arkansas. Quote, we believe that once our arguments are heard before a court of law, we will successfully place this issue before the voters of Arkansas on November 8th. The amendment is sound and we feel confident that will be the ruling of the courts. With the support of almost 200,000 Arkansans already, public polls showing strong support for likely passage and the incredible grassroots momentum we see growing around the issue uh, every day, we believe this needs to be out and put before the votes uh, of uh, Arkansas. We are fully committed to arguing the merits of the amendment and ensuring that happens. More than 192,000 signatures were submitted on July 8th for the uh, proposal to allow people age 21 and older to possess up to one ounce of cannabis. Arkansas voters in 2016 voted to legalize medical marijuana in the state, but Remember all the things that were going on, all the shenanigans that were going on about medical marijuana, even though it had been voted on by the people. Uh, there are people who did not want to see it put into play, and they drug their feet. I'll just tell you right now, they drug their feet and made it very, very tough uh, for that particular uh, thing to happen for it to finally be put into law. All right, let's get into the news and we'll come back and talk to our friends from the Heritage Foundation. Hey, don't forget what I've been telling you for the last several months. If uh, you break down on the side of the road uh, traveling somewhere, uh, then uh, get the group of people who know what to do no matter the situation, have East End Towing come out and handle what it is that's causing you problems. I mean, look, it might not be your car. You might be towing your boat. Maybe something went wrong with the trailer. Maybe it's a camper. It needs to be taken care of. Or maybe you're towing one or the other, and it is your car that went down. What happens to your boat and to your camper? East End Towing has all the answers. All you have to do is give them a call. It's uh, 501-888-8849. That's uh, 501-888-8849. I got them on my phone so that I know that's the people I'm going to call if something happens to go sideways. Uh, An issue that you and I have talked about here on this show uh, is what are the Chinese up to? Everybody now has figured out, for the most part, that the Chinese are not our friends. In fact, even the Chinese know they're not our friends, and uh, they know that uh, they're an immediate threat to us, and uh, that they uh, they want us gone. If They want us at the number two or number three position and not the number one position in the world in uh, how the world is making their decisions. So with that in mind, I want to get Dustin uh, Carmack on with us from the Heritage Foundation, or if not him, then uh, James uh, uh, Carafano. Uh, they've just written an article that I think is of interest to all of us, and I'll post this on my Facebook page so that you can read the whole article and uh, the name of the article is a plan for decisive action against the threat of ccp land use in the united states 
Look, make no doubt, doubt about it. When the uh, CCP, or, or, or let's say it this way, when a business or an NGO opens up here in uh, the United States, it's the CCP that's behind it because the Communist Party, the Chinese Communist Party, controls everything. And uh, Dustin, thanks for joining us today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I think that's the number one truth everybody's got to come to grips with. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, one of the, and it's even become more defined in recent years. Uh, you know, in the last five years, a new national security law in China essentially dictates that regardless of, uh, you know, a Chinese citizen's feelings, they essentially have to report to the state and to the intelligence services. And if they come knocking, uh, you know, related to their data, that goes to companies, that goes to every individual. So it, you know, it's unique in the sense that uh, it's not just related to domestic, you know, side China. You know, any business that has tangential connections to China in any way has to report essentially to the CCP state if asked for. Well, in in all honesty, if you want to do business in China and, and you're a U.S. company, you got to answer to them too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, not just the answer to them, uh, you know, be essentially under a, a surveillance Orwellian state. I mean, um, in terms of, you know, uh, what is happening over in China and the, you know, essentially proliferation of technology uh, that they're using to not only monitor and suppress and, and essentially the genocide of Uyghur Muslims in Western China to essentially, you know, lockdown policies with, uh, with on COVID and Shanghai, you know, those types of technologies are kind of spreading outside the world. So, you know, that's same goes into their business structures as well. Well, something that has come out, and I, I want to spread this discussion out just a little bit at the very beginning, uh, because it's something that I was n- very, very nervous about. I got our congressman involved into it, and that was the Confucius Institute that was on the University of Central Arkansas's campus, and all the information that our federal government was coming out with about this was just a hotbed of, of spies from China, uh, using it as a methodology to reach out to people to get information that they thought they needed to be able to defeat us. Yes, they've, they've had a uh, program, too, called the, the Thousand Talents Program, yes. you know, very much associated with the, the Confucian Institutes. And, and there was a lot of investigations in Congress. Uh, Senator Rob Portman from Ohio and Senator Cotton from your home state of Arkansas were very busy uh, you know, trying to, to amplify this. But it's still tough because, you know, in many ways, what the CCP has done is, you know, they're just almost kind of rebranding. And so, you know, as long as it's not called Confucius Institutes, but finding other mechanisms uh, to get themselves involved at the campus levels uh, to both, you know, extract information, but also, again, kind of seed, you know, different folks across the country. Okay, so this story about the uh, Communist Party of China buying up land in the United States uh, came to the forefront again up in North Dakota, up towards Grand Forks. Grand Forks, of course, has Grand Forks Air Force Base, uh, which is a U- U.S. Air Force Base, and it's uh, evident. I didn't know this uh, until just recently. It's a hotbed of dealing with our drone program. And people were concerned that the reason the Chinese were buying land in that area was to spy on that program. 
Yeah, and that's been seen, you know, there was a recent reporting about uh, the Chinese wanted to build essentially like a gift of kind of this tower near the uh, the National Mall uh, here in Washington, D.C., and essentially the FBI and others kind of flagged it as, as being, you know, problematic that they could possibly use this for different types of kind of espionage, uh, you know, intelligence activities. And, yeah, that, that, that base in uh, North Dakota is very central uh, to our, essentially, some of our most advanced drones uh, that we operate, not just you know, around the world, and and a lot of them rely on data link systems uh, to satellites, uh, very much of which are targeted by adversaries such as Russia and China, uh, by cyber, by other means. But again, this would be put them essentially within 12 miles of each other. Uh, and there was an Air Force uh, colonel who wrote a, a piece, essentially identifying a lot of the issues of what they could do to possibly either uh, evaluate the linkages between the ground-based radars and, and the satellites that, you know, essentially emanate out to these drone systems. Yeah, you, you all make some very, very strong points early on in this article, you and James did. For instance, you say, uh, eliminating the CCP's malicious land use threat requires even more aggressive measures than states rightly banning foreign ownership of farmland. The CCP's acquisition of land is without question an immediate threat to America's national security, their economy, and our infrastructure. You named three different areas where you believe that the Communist Party of China is looking to attack us. And then you go on and say, make no mistake, the Chinese Communist Party, which is absolute control of the Chinese nation, would like to see a world without America. China openly admits that it is America's adversary. Therefore, every aspect of Chinese activity in the United States is a suspect. Those are strong words uh, there, Dustin. Yeah, you know, but if you look at uh, Xi Jinping, the, the general secretary of the, the Chinese Communist Party, I mean, he pretty much put there in statements uh, if it's related to Taiwan or if it's about the U.S. or, you know, essentially what he views as the long-term need of, of China's role in the world. And that is to dominate, essentially, you know, like you said, economically, militarily, technology. Um, now, they'll say that this is all through, you know, essentially peace, peaceful means, but they're activities and what, you know, our law enforcement and intelligence community see on a daily basis is, you know, routine violations of, of anything that you could call as international order, uh, you know, cyber espionage, um, you know, massive theft of intellectual property in the United States, uh, you know, essentially terrifying, uh, you know, Chinese nationals um, and essentially blackmailing them into, you know, adverse action uh, against the United States, you know, on behalf of the, the CCP. So, you know, the, these activities really kind of highlight, you know, the need to be able to not just think of this as a federal issue, but state by state as well. Yeah. Let's talk about all of that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I need to get a break in. Got to pay the bills, you know. And uh, we'll talk further about this article. Great article. I'm going to post it on my Facebook page. Again, that's facebook.com slash the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, 
you can listen to the interview as well because we always uh, carry our show live on Facebook and uh, post it back up so you can watch it at any time that you want to. And this may be one of those shows after you listen to it, this 30 minutes, uh, pull it out and share it with uh, all of your friends. Our uh, friend uh, who is joining us from the Heritage Foundation, one of the great conservative foundations here in the United States is Dustin Carmack. We'll continue our conversation with him in just a moment. Let me remind you that, you know, with inflation going the way it is, um, most people who are helping folks build up their nest egg and protect their nest eggs in retirement say that you should have about 15 percent of precious metals in your uh, your nest egg. But how do you buy that precious metal, that silver, that gold? Well, that's where uh, David Lucas Financial uh, comes in. They will help you out with that. They will teach you how to buy gold and silver. I mean, do you buy it in a, you know, just a, a piece of paper that says that you got X amount of ounces of gold or silver? Or do you ask that that gold or silver be shipped to you so that you can keep it right there, I don't know, like I do, in my bedroom uh, in a safe? How do you do it? What's the best way to do it? Well, that's what they'll help you out deciding at David Lucas Financial. At least they do me. Uh, know that uh, David Lucas Financial works with one of the only regulated and licensed national wholesalers in the country. Uh, you get direct prices from a dealer you can trust, and you can learn more about buying silver and gold just by calling David Lucas Financial. Their number is 501-222-3315. That's 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services are offered through David Lucas Financial, an Arkansas registered investment Advisor. All right, six minutes after seven, and it's a Thursday. That means that uh, Joe and Duck are here. Joe from Joe's Garage, and uh, Duck is here, of course, and uh, from Duck's Garage. And uh, I have these guys on because right now, keeping your car running as uh, efficiently as possible is going to save you money at the pump, and. Uh, you know, you don't want to have to go out and buy a new car right now. And by new, I'm just talking about something that you haven't had before. I mean, it could be a used car, but you'll pay for what it should be as a new car, the way that they're doing prices now. Or if you're wanting a new car, uh, you'll pay a high price and then you'll wait uh, to get that car. And even if you get it because they can't get all the chips uh, for all of the uh, you know, computers in your car, your power seats may not work, and uh, other things may, may not, not work. work. Just keep that all in mind. And, uh, Heated and cool seats don't work. So that means that, have they even talked about this yet, Doc, in the news or anything that, or Joe, maybe you, you've heard it as well. Uh, when those chips do come in, so you're going to get, what, a call from the dealership, and they're going to no, upgrade called, your car? No, it's called retrofit, Dave. Retrofit, okay. The windows will probably have crank-up windows, but when you get when I they get all the chips that. in. That blows my mind that we'll have crank-up windows in cars They'll change them again. back over to electric windows. Okay. Okay, so that would mean a complete change, I guess, Joe, with, with the door panels, wouldn't it? Because yes. yeah. you got to punch holes in the... Yes, 
in the side you know panels and stuff to put those cranks in there yeah the, the if you, you just go to gm or ford or dodge any of them and pull them up and look at them and when it gets down to where it says heated seats it says retrofit at a later date no cool feet. It's all there. It just they can't turn it on. Uh, the the crank up windows. They you know, it says retrofit at a later date. Okay. And now they're talking about to the at the middle of twenty four for all this is going to be available. Oh, they've moved it further back now. Mm-hmm. They had been saying next year, but now yep. they're saying twenty four. That's what the latest I had was twenty four. So you know you buy a new car and what's Buddha Judge doing? I mean. He's not throwing a paycheck. Evidently, that he rides in a limo. You don't got to worry yeah, about him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Him oh, I forgot. He wants you to buy an electric car. Yeah, but he's <laughs> driving a gasoline car. <laughs> I know that. You know, don't do as I say. You know, do as I tell you to how do. How many gallons of gas? Or excuse me, how many gallons of jet fuel did we burn with Nancy Pelosi? A lot. Yeah. A lot. You so know? I want to see her fly on an electric plane. <laughs> China won't have to shoot her down. Yeah, that's true. Well, she it'll, won't it'll, get off the ground. She'll shoot herself down. Yeah, she won't get off the ground. So that that you know, these are things people. That's why I'm telling you, keep your car running and at the most high proficiency you can. When I talk about the car and truck doctors on Saturdays, that's why you should be tuning in at nine o'clock to listen what the, these guys have to say. Uh, a lot of preventive maintenance goes a long way in making sure that uh, you get the best work out of your out of your automobile and joe something that you've told me many many times is these constant high temperatures that we're having right now is going to reduce your mileage oh yeah the, the temperature outside and humidity has a lot to do with the fuel efficiency of a combustion engine you know um, i would say that uh and and you know as the seasons change they do different blends of fuel too and, and there are different blends of fuels done because of the evaporation rate for when it's in the ground. And they try and control that and reduce that amount. Uh, I, I, you know, if you have an automobile and it has a check engine light or a service engine soon light on, and it seems to be running all right, there are a lot of little things that could cause it to get bad fuel economy that won't make it run bad. But you would get better fuel economy if the light was off. Okay. Let's just say we have a EVAP solenoid or vent solenoid stuck open, right, Duck? Yep. What's it doing? Dumping all the gases out. It's it's sucking all those fumes in there all the time. It's not supposed to. And so that that's doesn't gonna, give you good gas mileage. No, your 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 computer's saying, well, I don't know where I'm getting this unmetered fuel at, so let's lean out the fuel injection system. So it starts to try and adjust and compensate for it. When it's doing that, it can't actually switch fast like it's supposed to, which the O2s control the richer leanness of the motor. That's what everybody thinks, but they don't. They're just sensors reading it. Mm-hmm. So if it says it's too rich, then it tries to lean that fuel mixture out because the optimum fuel economy or fuel strategy you have in a car today is the minute it says it's lean, it switches and richens the fuel mixture up. When it richens Puts it up. Puts a little extra gas into that's it. That's correct. Yeah. Puts a little extra gas in it. Like the, the, the injector panels, the milliseconds, they stay open. So it open them up a little bit and let more fuel in. And then the minute the O2 says, hey, we're rich, it leans that back out. It reduces that. So, you, you know, one or two or three or four percent 
rich and then one, two, three, four percent lean, that's your fuel range right there for the best you can get. And if you have some unmetered fuel or a vacuum leak, right, Doug? Yep. Or a dirty mass airflow sensor or wore out spark plugs, you're making that computer have to adjust things to offset that. And it's and it's gotta do it quickly. Oh yeah, it's gotta do it quickly. But that along just driving one with the thermostat stuck open and the engine not fully coming to temp, it'll cause you to have a loss of fuel economy. <laughs> yeah, it causes it to have a bad loss. So there's a lot of, you know, if the light's on, get it checked. You might you might think, well, I can't tell any difference in it. No, but when we drive it and we hook up a scanner on it, we can read you can see the it. fuel strategies, long-term, short-term fuel trims. We can see if it's burning the best it can burn or if it's way out of whack. So. Okay. Well, I know. here's what I know. When it gets over 90 degrees, where I was getting 18, 18 and a half mm-hmm. miles to a gallon, now I'm getting... 16. 16.7, mm-hmm. 17, you know. And maybe you think that one mile extra per gallon is not all that big. Well, I figure every time I fill up, I'm putting now about 15 gallons in my car. So uh, you do the math. Yep, it don't take long when you done eight up to three gallons. Yeah, I mean, it's that's money. It's Absolutely. money out of your pocket. That uh, you're taking out of your pocket and giving to the and with gas three gas man. I think three forty nine is what I seen it in Benton this morning. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so let's give my th- our thanks to the uh, Biden administration because now they're only a dollar away from the way it was with uh, with Trump. How much money have you spent? That's my question. How much money have they already cost you? I know hundreds what it's cost me. upon hundreds of dollars. Yeah, that's what it's cost you. Well, it's it's a crying shame that you know they they went to war on what fuels this country without having a a backup plan. A backup plan <laughs> that or, works. Or you know, if you look at the news and they're selling our oil reserves or giving our oil reserves away. Yeah. Isn't it makes amazing? you wonder what's going on in their head. Twenty yeah. million barrels again this week. I know, and that, that's not going just to the American consumer. Oh no, this is going across the pond. Oh, this is just uh, what they're giving to. Yeah. Uh, let's see, who was it? I think it was China. Yeah. China got some. Europe. Got I just some. talked about China. We just learned about China. <laughs> And that, uh, you know, the CCP, everything is a business and military, you know, mm-hmm. connection together. They, they they control everything in their country. Yeah, I heard you talking about the big you farm know. they bought out in uh, North Dakota. Oh, yeah. That's that's within 12 miles of you Grand Forks Air Force for. Base. Yeah, they're spying. Yep. Because they've got uh, they got one of our most advanced uh, drone programs out there in Grand Forks. They put it out there thinking that nobody could get no, near them. Because let me tell you what, if you've ever been to North Dakota, let me tell you, it, it, you want to see flat? You'll yes. see flat out in North Dakota, let me tell you. I, I was talking to one of my friends when I was in the military, of course, and Minot is out there as well. And, uh, you know, the old saying is, why not Minot? Because it's too damn cold. Uh, they say you can not show up for duty for three days, and they don't worry about you because they can look out the window and see you. <laughs> <laughs> see what you do in yeah, yard. It's flat, baby. I mean, it's that That's flat. kind of like going across Kansas, you know. You know? Kansas, you go across the Interstate 70, on, you know, going across Kansas. 
I mean, you can see miles and miles ahead of you. Yeah, the road as, is as long as they don't have all the uh, the sunflowers planted. Yeah. <laughs> they you, do plant that you can't see mills. nothing. Yeah, you can't see nothing then, as far as that's concerned. All right, 16 after. Let's get to our first question. We'll do that when we return. Uh, you're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show here on The Answer, 101.1 FM. Uh, the Answer, don't forget about ICU uh, protection. Uh, they want to protect your home. They want to protect your business. If you got both of them, they'd like to, you know, belly up and get both of your, uh, biz- your business and your home under their umbrella. Uh, these are the guys that protect Nuke One uh, out there in Dardanelle. And uh, since I don't have a, a reactor uh, sitting there in my living room, I figure that the uh, door and window sensors, the uh, motion the, the detectors and and the cameras that they put on my house has my house about as secure as I can ever hope for, and they can do that with your business as well. Uh, if you call them, call Billy Mack. He's the owner. He'll take your, your questions, 501-205-1333, and he'll tell you that what he does is that he just charges you for the service. All of the hardware he puts on your house, no charge for that whatsoever, ever. You don't ever have to pay anything on the hardware. You just got to pay for the service. As far as paying for the service, very, very uh, competitive and lower than most people who charge you for the uh, the hardware and uh, the service. That's Billy Mack and the good folks at ICU Protection. Call them. The number again is 501-205-1333. Number I called when I got my house hooked up to the folks at ICU Protection. All right. Got a, got a car question for you guys. Let's, uh, let's help somebody out here. Dan's got a 2002 Toyota Camry LE. It's a four-cylinder, 2.4-liter engine. He says, what can cause one real rear wheel to lock up? My wife parked a car in the parking lot in the morning. She started the engine that evening without anything abnormal to her. When she tried to drive, the car moved very slowly and skidded in a slant direction. We would call that crabbing. Also, the ABS light came on. She later realized that the left rear wheel was locked up and didn't spin at all while the other three wheels seemed to function normally. We called a flatbed truck to tow the car to a mechanic close by with a bad wheel on a special dolly. But when the mechanic checked the car, it drove normally and no problem was found after tires, wheels, and brakes were examined. His theory was that the brake might have reset after the tire was lifted off the ground. We're still uncertain whether it may happen again. So I leave you both the two Sherlock Holmes. I have one question, or, and we're not going to get answered. Or is it Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson? I don't know. Okay, go, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, Dave. That's all right. Go ahead. You stepped on my joke, but I'll, I won't I'm sorry. <laughs> I was uh, thinking to myself, wondering what the temperature outside was that day. Why is that? Because if they pulled the emergency brake and the wind was blowing from one side and there was moisture in the cable... When you release that brake, the e-brake won't move because cables froze. Okay. Yep. That's one theory right there. And I would like to know what the temperature was. If it's below freezing, that's a possibility. 
Number two, uh, only other thing on that particular vehicle can make it lock up like that after it was parked and nobody's got their foot on the brake is if she'd had the emergency brake set and it wasn't below freezing and she released it. If the brakes are bad out of adjustment, that eccentric will come over and it might have got stuck. What do you think, Doug? Yeah, that's what I was figuring it got locked up. Yeah. So why it overcamed? Why did it unlock when they shook it and it popped it loose? Either oh, really? that or in the process of towing it and the temperature outside coming above freezing, it thawed out. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah. Interesting. All See, right. Because if it's parked there all night, there's no hydraulic pressure on it. Okay. No, that's all done off of cables. Yeah. So, and you know, if she had it set, that's probably what it is. And, and uh, if it may happen again, but, you know, if they said, you know, the temperature outside was 15 or 20 degrees, you know, you would know because we don't know who sent this question. Yeah, we correct. assume it's somebody here local, but. Right. And we don't know what time of the year it was. So. All right. There you go. Couple of couple answers. That's why you go to your bumper to bumper certified service center and have it checked out. Because I can't find it. Dave. He'll check it. No, I had it on my phone. He's looking for a, a, a story that come out of Houston, Texas out. this past week. How big was the trailer? They're three fifty three foot long trailers, and they're stacked from the floor to the roof. Now that's the big trailer. They so put it on it. social media, Dave. If you got cats for sale, call us at this number. Yes. And that's how the cops found it. Somebody on social media found it. So the cops sent in a guy in there undercover and sold him some. Okay, let me stop you real quick just so you, we can bring you up to date on what we were talking about. This catalytic converters we're talking about yeah, that are being Houston, stolen yes. all over the United States, they're especially hitting us here hard in our area. Oh, I've got uh, 11 in the last 10 days. Okay, so keep that in mind. They had three 53-foot-long trailers. trailers full, top to bottom. to the bottom. And you say that they're, what they're doing is they're taking them to Mexico. They said they were taking them to Mexico, and they say that was the third or the fourth trip. Wow. They said in Houston, Texas, it went in 2020, they had like 360 cats stowed. In 2021, they had over 8,500 stowed. And that was just in business the city. Business is good is what you're saying. And that was just in the city of Houston. So when they got to checking, they figured out that these was coming within a 100-mile radius of all around Houston. And they was and they had it on social media where if you got cats for sale, call them and they'll buy them from you. And they had these trailers stored somewhere. So they said, you know, out of sight. But you was going to these people's houses and selling them to them. Then I guess they'll put them in a trailer and haul them, you know, somewhere sure. else. You would think that whoever is in law enforcement, if you if the, you saw that or somebody else saw that, and you turned it to them, they would go bust them. Well, they did. They uh, it took them about three months because they said they want to get enough evidence on it. They arrested, I think, twelve, either ten or twelve people. Wanted an airtight case. Yes, and uh, so they sent in a couple of undercover cops in there and sold them some. You know. Uh, and then, you know, tracked them where they was going. I guess they put tracking devices in them, and they figured out they was going to Mexico and selling the stuff. So, But you just think they said it was over, way over a million dollars worth in the used department. And they said if you had to replace all of them with new ones, it was over $12 million. So how much did insurance companies well, if they had comprehensive coverage, which is a full coverage on their yeah. vehicle, it's covered because it's theft. I got right. one right now. 
it's almost $20,000 to fix it. I'm telling you, it can get expensive real quick because they do damage to the O2s, the wires. They, they're stealing them off diesel trucks. They're not even stealing the cats. They're stealing the particulate filters. Yeah, I got one from you know, Hot Springs. I don't uh, know the difference. Week. Yeah. They stole the, the filter off of it and left the cat on it. Yeah. Go figure. But I got to buy a filter and put back on it to make it all operate right. And then he took all three sensors and the and the outlet knock sensor, which is a thousand dollars my cost. They took it with them, which they don't. They just took it because it was there. But you they know, didn't have time to unscrew it. They just tear yeah. the wires out and drag it out from under there and go. So, and a lot of them you can't even buy uh, pigtails for the plug-in, no. can you, Doug? Nope. You end up buying a wiring harness that goes back there. Guess who's got those? The dealer. So, uh-huh. so this is the worst part. If today. they have it in stock, that's right. I was over at my buddy's record yard uh, one day last week, and the cops was there. And, and I asked my buddy, I said, "So, what are the uh, what's the cops out here for?" He said, "Oh, they impounded this truck last night. They was in the guy's yard cutting his cat off off his new Ford truck, a 2022 new Ford truck. And he walks out and catches them. Uh-huh. It had been a sad story around my house if I'd have walked out and caught them, but." So they impounded the truck. So I walk over and look back in the truck, and I've got seven daycare small G-vans that they've stole them all off of. Laying in the back of this Dodge truck is every one of these cats. Every mm-hmm. one of them. So I tell the okay. cop, look, I've got them vans at my shop. I need them cats to put them back on because I can't find none right now. It's evidence. He said, I can't let you have them. I said, keep one of them. Give me the rest of them. Nope, can't do it. He wanted evidence. Is that what it is? But guess what? They let him have the truck back and didn't take him out of the truck. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I, I thought a fit with it. Well, of course you did. Policeman. I called him. I said, you know what? The guy picked the truck up. My cats are still in the back of it. What did he say? Oh, well. What sorry. I was told to do. Yeah. That ain't his fault. I mean, you yeah. know. But still. And finally, I've got uh, – I'm down to five of the vans because I finally got enough cats to start putting them back on. i got three sitting there now that I don't have enough cats to put on. All right. It's big business right now, and there's not much you can do to protect yourself, to be honest. No. Oh, they can slip up in your yard and get it, and you never even know it's gone. All right. We got to get to uh, Bill O'Reilly when we come do- back. Uh, name of a metal, iridium. Let's talk about it when we come back here on the Davos. All right, back with you here on Davos. I was talking about uh, a hike I took while I was at Harper's Ferry, and Thomas Jefferson had said of this one path that if you got to the top of it, and it was 300 yards, so it wasn't short, but it wasn't really long. The Appalachian Trail runs right through the area. But uh, I walked up there to get up because it said that the view from up there, which was at the beginning of the Shenandoah Valley that you can see, was worth crossing the Atlantic to see. Of course, that's where how they got to the New World. And so... Uh, I walked up there, and I'm going to tell you what. What they didn't say is if you can make the 37-degree angle <laughs> that the, the walk is, you're all right. And I'm walking up there, and I don't have any toes on my right hand, my right foot, as you all know. And uh, I, I, well, beyond, I thought I was going to die before I got up there. <laughs> I was, I was, and, but the worst part was coming down because when you come down. 
boom, boom on your knees. My knees had had it by the time mm-hmm. I got to the bottom again. So that I went, I saw, I conquered. I'll never do it again. <laughs> but I'll probably never be in Harper's Ferry again. Yeah. That was pretty cool. So anyway, it was a great trip on the Patriot Tour, guys. It was I'm really glad good. You had a good time, Dave. Yeah. Next year, you guys might want to come along. Going to go to Boston. Boston. Going to spend a week in Boston and been talking to Gina about it. And uh, you, you guys know when I say Arthur Fiedler and the Boston Pops, you know who I'm talking about. Well, the Boston Pops still around. Arthur Fiedler is not. Mm-hmm. And uh, every 4th of July, they have a big production there. And next year is the 50th anniversary. And I'm hoping for us to be able to go to that and see it. So it'd be I got lost pretty impressive. Boston. You did more than one time. Oh, really? Yeah, you know you can circle all the way around the airport, and you think you can get back on the interstate, but you can't. Oh no! Yeah, I made about ten circles. <laughs> you were you were in Boston longer than you were, were intending to, huh? Um, we was actually going to see the Plymouth Rock. Oh, okay. And we're running down the interstate. And I'm in the, it's, it's nine lanes wide, and I'm in the middle lane thinking, okay, I'm safe. And all at once, I look up, and we're sitting in front of an airplane. <laughs> and I look at Teresa, how did we get here? She said, I don't know. Yeah. So we make about ten circles around this place, and finally I see this guy that's valet parking cars, and I said, hey, man, look, I'm lost. I can't get back. Gotta. How do I get back on 95? He said, where are you going to? And I said, we're going to see the Plymouth Rock. He said, oh. He said, have you got... For, uh, eight quarters and I said yeah he said hold on so he goes there and gives me a map he said go down there to the third red light and make a right and when you go up there about two blocks you're going to make another right and it dump you out on the interstate he said when you get on the interstate go all the way to the inside lane and stay there he said when you get down there where you turn to go to Plymouth Rock it'll throw you off on it <laughs> it did just kind of weird how they had it laid out is what you're saying I mean they had four or five lanes going into the Boston airport well, it's a busy airport. I know. But, you know, they would have a sign tell you how to get back out of there. Yeah, you would think so. But they want you to stick around and spend your money. Oh, we did stick around. Did you spend your money? I give them some gas money. <laughs> That's what it's all about. All mm-hmm. right, just keep in mind. Hey, before we get back with uh, Joe and Duck, let me remind you about Hillcrest Designer Jewelry and Eric Coleman and what he's doing over at his uh, Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. 3000 Cavanaugh Suite E. Been around for 40 years. Man loves uh, jewelry. I'm just telling you. It started when he was a kid. He had one of those rock polishing uh, gizmos that you got when you were a kid. You know, you throw a mm-hmm. bunch of rocks in it, and it tumbles them, and then they end up looking cool. I I kind of liked them, except that it took days for it to do what it had to do. So I got bored with it and quit using it. But not Eric. He just kept on working with it, made jewelry when he was uh, like seven years old, and just continued doing it. And if you go to Hillcrest Designer Jewelry, you know, he does the highest quality jewelry around. Uh, he's got in his display cases other jewelers materials as well that you can buy uh, some of the services that he has he he builds his own jewelry for you he'll sit down talk to you find out who you're doing the ring for and make sure it displays the the people's personalities in what he builds for them if you got a state jewelry he'll tell you what it's worth and uh, he'll do all the repairs as well 
also. That's Hillcrest Designer Jewelry, 3000 Cavanaugh Suite E, open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 6. Excuse me, 10 to 6, and you can call him, 501-246-3655, Eric Coleman, and Hillcrest uh, Jewelry. So let's let's uh, go to this other question here. We'll answer it, and then we'll take a break. Steve has a 2004 Toyota Camry, second Camry here. Again, it's an LE, four cylinders, 2.4 liter engine. It says, my Camry has to have... Uh, what is it? Iridium? Is that how it's pronounced? Iridium. Iridium plugs. In the manual, it plainly says, do not adjust the gap on those plugs. However, the recommended gap on the plugs is 0.44 from the plug manufacturer. If the plugs are not gapped at exactly 0.44, should they be adjusted to the recommended gap? Since you're being told, don't screw with them. No. Just leave them alone. Take it back. They're pre-gapped. If they're yeah. off, they've been you, dropped. They said they've been dropped or damaged or whatever. But the problem with trying to adjust them is you can damage the tips of the plug trying to do that because they're very small, and the metal they're made out of is very it will easy, break off. Easy to break off and, and it's expensive. Yes, that's why some spark plugs we put in are thirty, forty dollars a piece, Dave. Every day. Yeah, I got to come over and see Joe. The I mean, reason I'm, I'm getting a, I'm, I'm, I'm missing my car, and when it does this, I know it is it's number four plug, either a plug or coal. <laughs> we, we know we, we've done this a few times, haven't yeah, we, Joe? We sure have. I got a, a eight cylinder Ford truck come in, had one coil bad. I put a coil on it. A couple weeks later, you come back. I put another coil on it. A couple weeks later, you come back. Okay, now I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. If that's happening to you, change out all the coils and save yourself some money. I tried to get him to, but after I put the fourth one on, he come back. He said, go ahead and put the rest of them on. Was it a four? It was a six cylinder? No, it was eight. Oh, it was an eight. It was a 5.4 Tratton motor. All right. But, you know, for about five weeks in a row, we put one on it. Because here's the key. When that engine was put in that car, all of those plugs and and, uh, and whatnot went in at the same time. So yep. they're the same age. If they one were born starts, the same day. Yeah, if one starts, you know, failing, no, you know the other ones are going to be right behind it. But sometimes people can't afford it, you know. And yeah, I understand that. I've but been there. he paid me mm-hmm. labor to check it mm-hmm. and labor to put a coil on it, you know, but... And then I find out that he had tried to put a set of spark plugs in it himself. Okay. Yeah, those two-piece spark plugs, they bit him. Two-piece? Yeah. Explain that. I, I've just, only seen a one-piece spark plug. I don't know if I've ever seen two. come out with. Okay. And if you leave the bottom half of the plug in the hole. No, really? Yeah, and you got a special tool you get it out with. and it takes anywhere from 10 minutes to 30, 40 minutes per hole. Depending on what old it is. Yeah. Ones in the back, four in the back are tough. Yep. Can't hardly get to them. And can't hardly of, see them, right? Feel for them. Out of eight, mm-hmm. you know, most time you're going to break seven. <laughs> Every once in a while you'll get one out. It's an age thing, and that was a bad design. Uh, uh, Champions Park plug come out and replacement that is a whole lot better, but that plug's like $33 a piece. But it don't stick in the hole. It That's will it. screw it all. It's all one piece plug. Yeah. Okay, a little easier to get out then. Oh, they'll come right out. Yeah. And I don't. I, 
I'm not a fan of putting Champion in a, in a Ford product, but I do on them. Why is you. that? Why? Why? Let me ask that real quick, and then I'll come right over to you, Joe. But why? Why Champion? That is, they just don't go along. I'm I'm a firm believer. If it come with AC, put AC in it. If it come with Ford, put Ford in it. Okay. But on that particular Ford, they get Champion. Okay. Interesting. You were going to say? I was going to say that, hey, we try and put back what they're born with. Yeah. You know, OE spark plug, when, when you, when you like, bumper to bumper, if you go to their parts list that we get, we click on their icon, and it brings it up, and we can order the spark plugs electronically. But when it comes up on their screen, like, uh, you got AC Delco, you got Motorcraft, you got Autolite, you got NGK, there's a whole bunch of manufacturers out there. You know, but when you look at their website, it's got the original OE plug on there. It'll say OE. This is what it was born with. That's what we usually try and do, right, Doug? Exactly. Go back with what it was born with, <coughs> because it's just like engine oil. You want to go back with what it was born with, right? And you want to put the proper antifreeze in it, and you want to use the right power steering fluid and the correct brake fluid. So all these are just things that we do because we have that database there, and it's linked with bumper to bumper, and they supply us with that information on their database that this is the OE plug. That's what we want to go back with because, in our minds, if that's what it was born with and it's working and it's doing its best, that's where we need to be with this. We don't need to try and change it because what we're going to do is either going to change the life of the spark plug or if you put a cheaper spark plug in it, it's not going to perform as well as it should and you're not going to get optimum fuel economy. And that's doing our customer a disservice. We might save them 100 bucks on a set of spark plugs, but in the course of 50,000 miles, it might cost him eight hundred dollars in fuel cost, right? Yeah. Doug? And another thing too, Joe, that plug is was designed for that engine when they when they designed that engine to run it at maximum, you know, fuel economy. It's just like an injector. You know, if you got an injector that's sticking a little bit, mm-hmm. it's not going to get good fuel mileage. So that plug was designed for that engine. So that's why I always try to put back what come out of it back in it. All right. Keep that in mind. When we come back, a, a 2014 Dodge Ram 1500 Laramie, it's eight-cylinder, 5.7 liter. How can I repair the air suspension? That's the question we'll take up next. When we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show, uh, don't forget about Pat Davis and what he is doing in the world of health insurance. He can save you a lot of money, especially if you're self-employed. Uh, you go through him and get yourself some good health insurance that you'll save 30 to 50% on. He'll also help you get away from co-pays and high deductibles. All you have to do is call him, tell him what you're looking for. If you happen to be a business and you need some uh, health insurance for your employees, call Pat Davis, 501-605-6935. And uh, you can go online and talk to him as well. It's yourhealthplanman.com. All right. We're continuing here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Here we go. Paul's got a 2014 Dodge Ram 1500 Laramie 8-cylinder 5.7 liter. I don't know even where to start with this question. Uh, says, how can I repair the air suspension? The system was rebuilt two years ago, and now it will not respond other than when the system is cooling down. And that was in all caps. 
is there an inexpensive fix and has FCA, whoever that is, owned up that they messed up? Nah. Yeah, we were looking, who's talking. A, who's FCA? We don't know. Okay. It's a manufacturer. Yeah. It's, that's not factory. It's it's, it's, it's made by Farstone. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, it, it's, it's been added on at the dealer most likely. It's a level ride air ride system for the rear that if you put a trailer or something on it and the bumper goes down, it automatically adjusts it back up to ride height. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a good system when it works right. But either it's got a leak or it's got a failed part or whatever. Like, like Duck said, you could take that compressor and disable it and run the air chuck back here and you got a set of air shocks. Yeah, and, and basically that's it like all that. it is anyway. That's the cheap fix. You know, he want a cheap fix. He just it. run both lines together, put you like your air tar up back here on the bumper, find you a hole or drill you a hole, and then if you hook a trailer to it, go by the station, air them back up, or get you one of them little uh, uh, carry around air pumps, and yeah, air them up with it. But uh, that's that's the end of the fixing way. You probably could fix it for that way, a couple hundred dollars. Otherwise, the last one of them compressors I bought, and they're oldest compressors, and they're they ain't very big, and they don't last very long. Uh, it was three to four hundred dollars for the kit. Yeah, especially if it's running. If you put something on there and it's calling for height adjustment, and it got a leak somewhere, and the compressor runs, it'll actually run till it wears itself out, and then it doesn't pump any air. Yeah, and the problem is, if that bags have been run low, it beats the bag apart. Yeah, it tears them up. All right. So keep in mind. That there's downsides sides to everything. But it's still got springs and stuff on it. I mean, it, it ain't like it ain't got nothing back there. Well, you talk about there's something you can put on a on a, a, a pickup or whatever to keep your trailer or whatever That's behind it. you. Oh, this is what it is? That's okay. it. That's what it is. That's what you talked about. Farstone okay. makes a kit. Farstone makes a kit. Uh, Dayton makes a kit. Uh, it's a little, little – it's airbag day. They're about a foot tall. There's two bellows in it, and they're about oh, eight inches in diameter, and and it goes up on top of the spring and goes up and bolts to the bottom of the of the frame rail, and basically all it does if you load something heavy, it just picks it back up to level so it drives right. Okay, and that makes sense when you consider when you buy some of these campers as big as they are. Exactly, you need that extra lift. I've I've put a many of them kits on just for that reason. Somebody will take a half-ton truck trying to pull a camper way too big, but they'll want to put airbags on it, and I'll put them on it and tell them all along, this is not your problem. <laughs> your transmission's going to go out truck before. Truck ain't big enough. Yeah, that's the that's problem. All right, last question for you. Sierra 2001 Audi 8.6 A6 Quattro Luxury, six-cylinder, 2.8 liter. Uh, so I bought a 2001 Audi A6 without a key because my 2001 Audi A6 transmission went out. So I've got the ignition that I have the key for and an instrument cluster installed in the car I just bought. What should I do next? Do I need to put my ECM into the new car or flash the new car ECM? What about the other coating like the ABS module and trans control module? Do they need to be recorded if I just swapped the ECM from my car that already matches the immobilizer and ignition? Well, that question right there, I, I'm I'm assuming that he's wanting to his car the transmission's out on. Right. 
and the one that he the, he has a key for it and everything. He wants to move all those parts over to the one he bought and install them. It's going to have a hard way to go on a 2001 Audi, okay? Mm-hmm. Big time. He'd be better off take transmission out of the one he bought. Put over in it. Put over in his. Then he's only dealing with one module, the transmission control module. Uh-huh. And it does have to be coded because that's a Volkswagen, that's a VAG system on that. And he's going to have he's going to have some issues with uh, getting it all coded out right. It's a uh, it can be done, but he's not going to be able to do it. He's going to have to take it to somebody. All right. If it's transmission related, take it down and let the folks down in in uh, in, in Benton take care of it, and uh, they'll be happy to handle it for you. Yeah, that'd be Gary. Gary. Take it down to Mid State. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, and, and the thing about it, Dave, is the computer on that A6 is mounted inside the transmission. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Same way with a Jeep or General Motors product, same way. So it was forward. They all mount them inside. Then you have to program them. And, Joe, I, can you on that Audi, can you change the VIN number on it to make it match? I don't know. Some of them back that those year models, you we're could. going back 20 years, okay? Yeah, it's a one model. 21 years. Some of them, once the VIN's burned in it, you can't change yeah, it. And I think that's one of them. I don't think you can change I, I can't, it. I can't remember offhand. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and, and say for sure because I don't remember. I don't either. And a lot of water under the his, bridge. Huh? His <laughs> best thing would be pull the ECM out of this old transmission, and put in a new one. But in order to do that, you got to have somebody that knows what to do with the transmission because you got to pull the valve body down and all that stuff to change it because it's up above the valve body. All right. And Gary Henry probably knows all about that. Yeah, call Gary Henry. He'll take care of you there. He's, of course, your bumper-to-bumper certified service center right there in uh, in Benton. He'll help you out. All right. And he does transmissions a lot. Yes. All right. With that said, we're out of time, guys. Thank you, Dave. Yes, good sir, to Dave. see you. See Glad you, you had again. a good trip. Like the, you know, we got back from the Patriot Tour. It was a good tour. We'll be announcing the newest one uh, here within the next four or five weeks. So uh, keep listening, and we'll let you know. I know it's going to have Boston in it. I just don't know how many days in Boston will be there. With that in mind, we're going to talk about your finances next, and I'll be back at 9. Don't miss that hour, because Jeremy Hopenthal is going to be with us from over at UCA and uh, Acre, and we're going to talk about econ. You know, are they playing games with us at the Biden administration? Is it a recession or isn't it a recession? I think it's a recession. You see that Walmart's firing people? That tells you the recession's either here or it's just right around the corner. We'll talk about it in the 9 o'clock hour on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, uh, Duck. See you guys next week. All right, 9 o'clock. It is a Thursday. It's my final hour of the show today. And uh, we try to make the 9 o'clock hour a must-attend event here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And today is one of those days. Uh, Jeremy Hopenthal? Hopenthal. Okay, I get it right. All right. Anyway, he is here uh, from UCA and Acre. And we've talked about uh, Acre a lot here on uh, this show. We've had them on quite often. We will probably have them on in the next um, 
months a lot more than we have because we got special session that's going to start next week. Right. Then you've got, uh, of course, you're going to be uh, uh, have the uh, the general uh, session coming up uh, in January of next year, and there's uh, there's a lot of things that are going to going to happen, I believe, now that we're going to have a new governor in the state. And yes, I still believe that uh, that, that Sarah's going to win and she's going to be the next governor of the, the state uh, of Arkansas. But uh, I wanted to start off talking national politics. And that is there's this big argument going on uh, by from the Democrats and from the Biden administration that we're not in. We're not in a recession. Now, the definition of a recession is that you go two quarters with negative numbers coming out of it. And we've met that criteria. But now they're going, no, well, yeah, yeah, but wait, 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 wait. Let's talk about this. Uh, no, let's not talk about this. Um, Joe Rogan went off on this on his podcast the other day about how they're trying to change definitions. And, and you should be always... You should always be uh, critical of any government entity that wants to change, uh, you know, definitions in the middle of the stream. Just read 1984, and you'll understand why. But, Jeremy, what what do you say? Are are we in a, a recession here in the United States? Yeah, this has definitely been something that people have been debating a lot um, uh, at the national level. I think, as far as how we define a recession, uh, you know. The two quarters of GDP declining is one that often is used, and it usually lines up with a recession. But really, recessions is defined in terms of just the economy declining across a broad array of, of factors. So GDP is one of those, and it's one that almost always lines up with a recession. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing to look at is with the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, that al- also almost always generates a recession. Uh, so I think some of the debate is just political about, of course, the, the incumbent president uh, does not want to have the word recession be said uh, coming up to election, right? So part of the debate about are we in recession there is political. As far as what economists look at, um, you know, to before That's why I I got you on today. Exactly. So economists try to look at, in addition to GDP, we look at employment, we look at uh, real incomes of households, not just national income. We look at um, uh, business sales. We look at consumption. And so some of those are declining. Some, like employment are, and consumption, are rising. So I think most economists would say we can't say for sure, but it looks like some of the important factors are turning down. And I think that by the time we get to the next election, it'll be a lot clearer. right? And that's coming up pretty quick. But uh, some of the factors are turning down. The Fed raising interest rates almost always generates a recession. So, and you know, Powell just came out yesterday and said they're going to raise interest rates again. Right. Yep. They they're absolutely going to, and and they need to. I think I think kind of the the interesting thing once you get out of the political debate about are we in recession or not is that you know if we were all to agree, say you know tomorrow that yes, if all economists said we're in a recession, that actually puts the Fed in a very tight spot. Right. Uh, you don't want to be raising interest rates during a recession. Uh, they're raising interest rates to try to bring down inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're in a recession and you have high inflation, which we haven't had since the seventies. Uh, 
can it's we actually, say can we say stagflation? Yeah, I mean, yes. So that during stagflation, uh, there, there, it's very hard for the Fed to kind of uh, do the two things they're trying to do at once, which is one, bring inflation down, and two, to stimulate the economy. Uh, it, it, the, those two, those are those are things which move in opposite directions. That's like exactly the gas, right. The gas pedal and the brake pedal, and you know you, you can't really push on both of them at the same time. So I think that uh, you know that's for economists looking at. That's our real concern is whatever the political definition we use is, uh, you know, if we do, if all those factors start turning down, if employment, you know, we have another employment report coming out tomorrow, if, if things like that start turning negative too, in addition to GDP, uh, that's that's really worrisome, uh, not only for the Biden administration, but for the whole country. Yeah, it, you know, people say, well, you want a recession, Dave. No, I don't want a recession, but I've been worried, I've been telling you, stay flat, uh, stay uh you know, the whole Jimmy Carter uh, situation from the, the late 70s was playing out again here in the United States. I lived through that, and right. I'm just I'm seeing it all over again. And they're making the exact same mistakes again. Not only are they um, – and they had to raise interest rates because interest uh, at, or at that time or money that time was flowing like, uh, you know, wine at a, at a European party. Uh, and so they had to get it under control. So they put the brakes on with uh, some interest rates. When when Volcker came in, they really put the brakes That's on. That's right. And they raised them much more click- quickly than is being done now. That's right. Um, I mean, they're raising them fairly aggressively now in, in terms of you know the last 20 years. But if you go back to the late 70s, early 80s, they would raise and lower interest rates much more quickly than they're doing now. Um, and, and that is, though, you did get kind of a seesaw of the economy. You, know, you had a recession in 1980, then recovery in 81, then recession in 82, uh, because they were uh, raising and lowering interest rates so much to try to bring down inflation, but at the same time not cause too large of a recession. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think history ever exactly repeats the same, but we are in a situation where that's a concern. I mean, if we talk about the upcoming, uh, not just the special session, but the, the the general session here in right. Arkansas, you know, whether we're in a recession or not has a huge impact on what state budgeting looks like, right? If you're in a recession, that means that government revenues are going down. That means more people are going to be unemployed. Um, so that that's the kind of thing where, you know, again, there's a political debate in Washington about what you call it at this very moment. But certainly within the next six months, we're looking at some sort of recession. And the big question is not whether there'll be a recession or not. It's how big will it be? Uh, you know, will it be a minor recession like we had, say, in 1990 or in 2001, or will it be a big one like we had in 2008 or like we had in the 70s and early 80s? Um, and so that's that's the unknown right now as far as economists watch it. And I try to follow the data pretty closely as all this data, not just GDP again, but all the data we look at comes out every month. And you know the big one tomorrow is employment. Uh, the forecast is it'll keep growing, which mm-hmm. again is kind of the, the puzzle here is that employment keeps growing uh, while things like uh, you know real income is declining. Uh, uh, industrial production is another thing that's declining uh, the past couple months. So if those continue to go down, it really uh, becomes clear that you know we are going into some sort of economic downturn, um, but worrisome that there's little th- that the Fed could do uh, in both ways that they want to bring down inflation and stimulate the economy. Well, there seemed to be a little bit of a shot across the bow yesterday when Walmart uh, came out and said that they were going to clip about 200 jobs at the corporate level. That means up there in the Fayetteville area. They weren't going to clip just their associates yet. 
If they start clipping those jobs, then you know something bad is just over the horizon. Yeah, and so, I mean, Walmart is a good one to watch, not only because they're an Arkansas company, and not only because they're the biggest company in the world by revenue, uh, but also because, you know, they're, they're ones that sell, you know, basic consumer goods, right? If, if, if they're seeing a slowdown in people buying those, uh, basic consumer goods and basic household items, you know, that's a signal that consumers are cutting back. Uh, now, in terms of the overall consumption data, uh, consumers are still spending more, even adjusted for inflation, uh, but, you know, that could start slowing down, too, and perhaps what's happening at Walmart. Walmart could be an early sign of that. Yeah. Why, why are they spending more? Could it be school is just around the corner and they're going out and buying school supplies and it, things or, of that I mean, nature? Or, you know, in an inflationary environment, it's better to buy things now than to wait another month, right? So oh, you're right pe- about people, that. people could be buying more in anticipation of higher inflation, right? So uh, this is all, you know, speculating and trying to figure it out, but we don't know for sure. But I think that's a real possibility is part of the higher consumption we're still seeing is, one, people still have some savings from all the stimulus checks during the pandemic, and they're starting to spend down their savings. And two, people might be worried that inflation will continue to be high. So for most things, durable goods, right, that don't spoil, unlike, you know, food, but for durable goods, uh, it's better to buy them now than to wait five or six months when the prices could be much higher. Unless it's a car. <laughs> if you, that's right. If your car, you're going to wait five or six months anyway. Maybe lock in the price right now. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't want to buy a used car right now because I'm just telling you, once the chip problem has been rectified, all those used cars that are sitting out there, they're not going to be able to sell them for the price that they paid for them to put them on them. You know, out there for the the car dealers, right? Yeah, they're, they're going to lose money. That's right. I mean, once the you know the supply chains for the production of new cars picks up, you know, the, there's no reason that used cars right now should be selling at the same price as new cars, basically. Uh, but once, but that's because production has slowed down. I mean, it's a similar thing with housing, right? People are very looking at the housing market uh, that's been on a tear in the past two years, right? I mean, the median home price in the U.S. is about a hundred thousand dollars more than it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's going to happen with mortgage rates now going up? Uh, we're already seeing a lot of signs that the housing market's slowing down. And what's that going to do to all the, the price of all those houses people bought over the past two years? That's going to go down, but how much will it go down? Uh, we just That's a big unknown and something we'll keep watching. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit because I feel I'm sitting in a pretty good point right now. Everybody kept telling me I should have sold my house a couple <laughs> of months ago. Uh, and I said, no, I don't want to do it. I got a VA loan. Mm-hmm. 2.6% interest rate on my home right now. I'm sitting in the catbird seat right now. Because yeah. that's what somebody who works over it, and I live in Cabot, so I live close to the Air Force Base. Uh, guys that are PCS and in are going to be looking to have to get a house. The housing market's going to shrink. Prices are going to go up again. And I'm going to be sitting in that position where, okay, so you want to buy my house now? You can just take over my payment if you're military and you got under a 3% interest rate going on for your mortgage. Mm-hmm. That becomes a very uh, viable position to be sitting in at that point. Yeah, I think that's always the challenge, too, that, okay, people say you should sell your house because prices are high, but you got to live somewhere, right? That's so exactly if, right. If you sell now, where are you going to go? Unless you're yeah. downsizing something smaller. Um, it's it's uh, you know Using housing, your, your own house as an investment vehicle is often a big challenge when you're trying to do it. Got to kind of watch things. <laughs> Got to watch things. I'm just saying. All right, Jeremy's going to be with us for the hour. We got.
got a lot of area to cover. If you'd like to get in on the discussion, you want to ask questions, here's your time. Uh, of course, 501-823-0965. 501-823-0965. He'll try to give you a simple answer. I'll do my best. You know, he, he tries to be as, as easy as possible. But economics, number one, is... Uh, is complex. It always is complex. Because um, when we come back, I'm going to talk about CPI and PPI. And when you look at the two the f- two figures, I think PPI tells you where you can expect CPI to go. So we'll talk about that when we return. And should they spend money out of all that money they got for the state government right now? Or should they hold on to it thinking that we may have a downturn in the economy. That's something to talk about as well here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so I want to talk to you about uh, the Consumer Price Index. Mm-hmm. Everybody everybody gets all jacked up when that's going to come out. But on the other side, only a few people pay a lot of attention to the PPI, which is the Production Price Index, Producer Price Index. And I pay more attention to that than I do to CPI. And the reason being is that I think PPI drives CPI. Mm-hmm. Am I right or wrong? Well, yeah, absolutely. So you know, when you talk about PPI, that's for your listeners, that's, that's the price that producers are paying for their inputs, right? So, yeah, to be able to make their widgets. That's right. So you know, think that that's the price of raw materials. That's the price of intermediate goods, right? They're going to go into the finished goods that we buy mm-hmm. at the grocery store at Walmart, right? So... You know, so those prices that producers are paying for their inputs absolutely have have an impact on what consumers end up paying. Uh, now, it's not always a, a one-to-one translation. No. Right? But uh, certainly if the prices that businesses are paying for their inputs go up, uh, they would like to be able to, uh, so they could maintain the same profitability, they would like to be able to raise consumer prices by a similar amount. Right. So I think it's, it's really good to watch those. And so next week we'll get the latest reports for both those measures. Uh, CPI, I think, comes out Wednesday and PPI is on Thursday next right. week. Um, so I think, I think you're absolutely right that it's worthwhile to watch both of those. And the PPI can be a leading indicator of what might be happening to the prices consumers pay in the future. Um, it is a lot more volatile. It goes up and down a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, it, right now, the price of wheat, the price of oil, those have been falling lately, right? So so those will have some effect of, of pulling the PPI down perhaps a little bit. I think it'll still be high next week when we see the numbers. But, you know, those can go up and down a lot, um, whereas consumer prices tend to move a little more smoothly. So, um, but I think you're right that it's, it's definitely worthwhile to watch to watch both those as well as to look at different aspects of why they're going up and down. What's your view of the, the next six months, perhaps? <laughs> you know, uh, as far as the economy in America, do you think that we're? Go- I guess I'm going to have to ask: Is it, do you think it's going to be a minor recession, or do you think we're going to run headlong into a major recession, especially now that the Senate is considering spending gazillions of more dollars again? Yeah, well, you know, I'm not a forecaster; I have no crystal ball. I think, but I think, I think it's going to be a, a strange. But you recession. got the Swami uniform yeah. on. <laughs> I think, I think what we very likely could see is inflation to remain high but come down a little bit from where it is now but still to remain high for the next year or so, um, much higher than people are used to. I think we could see GDP continue to contract. 
um, the broadest measure of the economy. But I think we could also see employment continue to increase. And that's just part of, I think, because of the strange place we are right now with the labor market. With, still, with the pandemic. And with whatnot. still a lot of jobs just coming back from the pandemic, but also because we have what we call a tight labor market, that people are switching jobs a lot. Their, their, their wages, at least not adjusted for inflation, but their nominal wages are going up a lot. And kind of the labor market seems to be distinct from a lot of the rest of the economy right now which usually isn't. Usually things move together. Usually if GDP is going down, employment starts falling and unemployment starts going up. So I guess this is kind of, if I have a forecast, it's that we're going to have a recession that's pretty serious. We're going to have inflation continue to be high, uh, but we're going to not necessarily see the big increases in unemployment we've seen, uh, you know, certainly in 2020, but even if you go back to 2008, huge increases in unemployment back then up to 10%. Uh, 2020 was, of course, the weird one. But I think that we'll we'll have uh, some things won't be as bad. Not as many people will lose jobs. But I think, you know, real incomes, income adjusted for inflation, that that we might see some big declines in that, which will certainly hurt people. I think that's more likely what we're going to see. Instead of employers cutting wages, they'll just kind of keep wages growing a little bit. But inflation will then eat, eat away at those wages which means they don't have to lay people off. May have to con- may consume them completely. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, that's what, what was it, a 5% raise in, in salaries this year, but you've got 9% inflation. That You're playing a, a catch-up game you can't catch right. up on. Yeah, and if we go all the way back to before the pandemic, early 2020, you know, if you look at wage growth versus inflation, they've basically so far been almost exactly equal. The, the increase in wages has been totally offset by inflation if you go back from starting before the pandemic. Um, and so then if inflation continues to outpace wages over the next six months, then wages, wages will even be even lower than they were in real terms before the pandemic. So I think that's, that's probably what we're going to see over the next six months or so. All right. Keep in mind, he's going to be with me until top of the hour. So there's still a lot of areas that we've got to discuss. And uh, when we come back, because we've got news coming up here in just a few moments, and that is that we're going to um, want to talk about, uh, if I could put him up in front of the uh, special session, what would you tell uh, the elected officials of Arkansas, would you tell them to hold firm because there's a possible recession on the way? Or would you say, yeah, you could let a little of that money out or, yeah, spend freely? You know, I'd like to hear what you have to say about Great. about all of yeah. that because I don't think personally that uh, the, the folks in our, our elected officials use you all enough. You got a lot of very interesting and important information that you all uh, gather all the time that would make their jobs a whole lot easier i would think well we we, we will try to be helpful so we'll we'll talk about that soon i hope yeah we can talk about (laughs) that that as as well all right so the special session will get underway next uh next uh, week a couple of things uh or the most most important one that they're talking about i believe is that they want to move uh, the tax incre- uh, decreases up faster than what they had uh, thought that they would do. And the other being, what do you do about the teachers? Do you do you increase their salary, which I think is a bad idea, and I'll explain why, or give them just a, a one-time bonus, which I think is probably the way to go, and I'll explain why I believe that is as, as well. All right, 
So let's get our break in, and then we'll have more for you. We've got local news for you, and then uh, Jeremy and I will be back to talk further here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, so I, I was kind of just messing around with you a little bit, but still wanted to, to talk to you about this special session. And, and there's a couple of things that they're talking about. The governor has referred to them. Uh, legislators have referred to them. I think that the governor is on the opposite side that the, than the legislature is concerning uh, uh, teachers' pay right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the governor wants to get them uh, get them a, an increase in in pay. Although I've I've heard him kind of waffling off of that a little bit here recently, uh, because of the matrix and where it's set up at. Uh, if you raise and you say we're going to raise teachers' pay by from uh, let's say forty to forty five thousand dollars, well, what you've just done is said okay. We're going to put this infusion of money in to raise this up to 45. But then after you get it up to 45, then you come back and the school district then has to maintain it at 45. Where do they get the money from? The state government, you know, a lot of that money that's sitting there that that one point. I forget how many billions of dollars. 1.6 billion. 1.6 billion. All right. Some of that. And I guess a pretty good chunk of it is COVID money that wasn't spent on COVID. So they got money to burn, so to speak. But it's one-time money, correct? Right. So there, there is some COVID money left over. And then there's this $1.6 billion, which is which is a separate pool of money. That's, that's, that's coming from income and sales tax collections over the past year. Okay. Um, so... You know, there's a lot of things, obviously, that could be done with it. I think the teacher pay one is one that has been discussed quite a bit. Um, the other major one, as you mentioned, was bringing forward some of the tax cuts, which have already been passed. That's uh, always a good idea. Right. So those those were those were passed in the last session to lower the top income rate and some other rates down to 4.9% mm-hmm. um, for, for income taxes. Um, so I think that's something that's going to happen anyway. So, you know. Potentially accelerating it would be good, um, but I think that you know, as I've thought about this, and I, re- I had an op-ed in the Democrat Gazette last week, and we wrote a blog post up on a, with more detail on our website. They can look at uca.edu/acre. Um, you know, I think that this budget surplus is so huge. I think it's worth thinking about. You know, should we have some rules in our budgeting process that tell us what to do when there's a surplus? What a big right. surprise, huh? Yeah, this Arkansas has had. I mean, a surplus is great. It's better than a deficit um, yeah. when you have to cut things. Right? It's it's nice to have. But I think that both this year and last year, we've had surpluses of more than a billion dollars. Um, but even before that, we've had we've had surpluses in something like 21 of the last, of the last 30 fiscal years. Um, and so it's always a kind of a, a fight over the money after the fact, right? The taxpayers have already paid the money in. We've already fully funded the, bu- the last budget the legislature passed. And now this is additional tax revenue that they're trying to decide what to do with. So I think it's worthwhile to have the conversation about what's the best thing to do with the money right now. But also, I think it's it's really worthwhile. And if if you know, again, if you put me in front of the legislature, what I would what I would say is, yeah, I'm gonna make need, you, I'm gonna make you king for yeah. a few weeks. All right, put on your crown and tell me what you would do when you raise the scepter. <laughs> well, what, what what Arkansas <laughs> needs to do is is have rules about how we handle a surplus, 
rather than dealing with it after the fact. Right? We have really good rules about what happens if there's a deficit. So the legislature passes a law every year called the Revenue Stabilization Act, which that law says if revenue comes in before forecast, here's the first programs we cut. Right? Here's the lower priority things that, we'll, that we're going to cut if revenue is below forecast. But there's nothing that says uh, what happens when it's above forecast or when it's above what's projected or it's, when it's greater than the budget. And so we need to have some sort of rule. And one rule that I, I suggested is you could just refund the money to taxpayers. Right? This is excess money the taxpayers have paid. If they paid in more than the budget needs, just give it back to them. Right. Huh, that's a good so, idea. And we did just a quick calculation that, you know, this would be with the current surplus, you could give every adult in Arkansas a check for $700. Wow. Just from the surplus. Right. And that's just simple calculation of how the total amount divided by the number of adults. Now, maybe that's not the, the best way or the way it should always be done. Maybe people who have paid more income tax should get a little bit more of it back. Uh, but, you know, everyone pays sales taxes and sales taxes are about half of that amount. It's coming from sales taxes. So some some rule. Right. So it wouldn't necessarily have to be that rule. It could be that some of the money goes to the reserve fund to prepare for future downturns, right? When the budget has to be cut, we have a fund that will support that. So we'll support the budget to make sure the cuts don't have to be as large. It's like um, a rainy day fund. Just that's what right. You're talking about. Okay. And, yeah, and we have one and in Arkansas. It's called the catastrophic reserve fund. But yeah, it's, it's a rainy day fund. That's the generic, generic term that states use to describe these. We already have one, and, and the number is actually it's also about 1.6 billion. So these are two separate numbers of very large numbers. But we have a we have a reserve fund already that has about 1.6 billion dollars in it. I think that's actually pretty well stocked already, much better stock than it was uh, five years ago or so uh, when it basically had nothing in it. Uh, this is a, a a fund that was created in 2016 uh, by the governor and the legislature, and they they've they've built it up pretty good. But that might be another budget rule you could have is to say, you know, if that fund is insufficient, it needs to be funded up to a certain amount. Like it needs to be funded up to 20 percent of a normal budget, which it already is in this case. But so you could have budget rules like that, which would say, OK, first we, we put money in the reserve fund. Uh, you know, then if there is some program maybe that's been cut in the past, we, we help them out. But then the money goes back to taxpayers. Some states have rules like this already. Uh, Colorado has a rule. They call it the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, which says that uh, if if tax revenue grows beyond inflation plus population, the excess amount is returned to taxpayers. And if the legislature has a better idea for it, they can put it to a vote of the people. Right. So if they would say, you know, this would be the case with the teacher raise. Right. If. Under the Colorado rules, uh, the legislature could say, you know, okay, we think giving some of this money to teachers is a good idea, but let's put it before the people to vote for it, right? That, that would be a way uh, to do it. Um, other states like Oregon just refund anything above uh, the uh, whatever the forecast was. If you're above the forecast of revenue by 2%, everything else just goes back to taxpayers. Because you're taxing the taxpayer too much. Right. You're taxing them more than, you know, the legislature set the budget. They said, here's all the important things we want to spend money on. That budget has been fully funded, right? And so now we're just dealing with what feels like free money. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, this is excess money the taxpayers have paid. Um, and especially now, as we talked about earlier, we're going into an economic downturn of some sort. Uh, that would be a time when people might be able to use that extra money, right? So certainly, if you gave the money to a specific group like teachers, you could give them a lot more than $700 per teacher, right? Because there aren't as many teachers as there Correct. are people. Uh, you could probably give them $7,000 each, right? Uh, but uh, I think that we have this kind of problem in Arkansas that – 
we, we have this fight almost you know, every other year about, okay, there's a big surplus. What do we do with it? Um, and I think that a better way to do state budgeting would be to say, let's have a rule about what happens. I think a good default rule is the money goes back to taxpayers. Uh, if there's a better idea than that, it can be put up to a public vote. All right. Do you do you get the opportunity very often, Jeremy, to sit down uh, with legislature legislators and talk about these things? Sure, we we do. I mean, we we do try to certainly make ourselves available, but we do have legislators that will come and talk to us, uh, you know, about the special session or or about especially when there are say tax proposals, when there are things about um, government transparency. We have a lot of research on that. We try to. We try to do two things. One is just make policymakers aware that we're around and we have research on this. And then uh, we just hope they'll, they'll reach out to us and and, and uh, uh, ask us for input. Um, I don't think you know. I don't think they've ever done exactly what we propose. But I think you know, in all the debates about tax cuts in the past seven years, uh, we've certainly been there, providing testimony to committees and to the tasks the task forces on taxation. So uh, they're certainly hearing us, and I think I think. They, they've done a really good job with a lot of the tax cuts recently. Um, so we, we just hope to continue to be here as a resource and to provide our own research, but also to try to tell them, you know, here's what the broader set of economic research that all economists have done on these topics say. And that's that's how we try to that's how we try to get into the debates. All right. We're going to come back and finish this discussion up. I want to uh, turn our attention to next year uh, when we have a and we're going to just assume that. Uh, Sarah will be the new uh, governor, uh, and that our numbers, as far as a supermajority, are going to stay relatively the same. May go up for the Republicans. I don't see them going down, but there's a possibility they could go up. And uh, what should they be looking at uh, as we move forward here as a state? What will make us more competitive with the states that are around us? Uh, is there a legitimate way to get rid of the income tax? Should we get rid of the income tax, or, or should we hold on to a little bit of it and get rid of property taxes? There's all kinds of questions to be asked, and I love having Jeremy on because I can let him be, uh, you know, devil and angel in, in, <laughs> in the same show. So we'll be back. We'll talk more about it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's uh, about uh, 14 minutes till 10 on a Thursday on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's finish it up. Jeremy is with us. He's from Acre. Uh, they are a group over at UCA. Uh, I call them our local heritage foundation. That's what I refer to you guys on. And I believe that the legislature should use you all much more than what they do. I mean, you tell me that they, they contact you, they talk to you. You all come up with answers to a lot of these subjects that they would be smart if they would just take some good advice. Well, we, we certainly think that we're, I hope, providing not only a, a different perspective, but also an academic resource that doesn't really exist anywhere else. I mean, you know, you talk about heritage or whatever. If you go to D.C., I mean, there are hundreds of, of think tanks that have input. Yeah. There, there really aren't that many here in Arkansas, uh, especially ones that are academic like we are. So. We really do hope that we can be a resource. And, and like I said, we have been. I mean, we, we testify before committees and people call us for advice. I mean, that certainly happens, but we want to continue. I'm, You know, David Mitchell, who you've had on before, he's been the founding. David's found, a good man. He was the founding director of Acre. He's actually moved on to, to Ball State in Indiana, starting a new research center there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm now stepping into that role, and I hope to just continue to 
to, to be there as a resource and to keep doing our research um, on things like taxation and barriers to people getting jobs, uh, as well as government transparency. Those are the main things that we focus on. Um, so, you know, as we look at the, the next session coming up, not the special session next week, but we look at You're the next at general January. session, um, you know, I think that uh, there's a lot of things that Arkansas can do to continue to be both a better place to work, but also to be more competitive, trying to attract people. I think that the tax cuts that have been done over the past few years, uh, those could be continued. Uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, in the past few years about can we get rid of the income tax? Should we get rid of the income tax? How long should it be to get rid yeah, of Yeah, how long to get rid tax? of it? Yeah. And I think that as of yet, that's been kind of a, a, a thing that people have thrown out there as an idea. Uh, but, you know, no one's really put together a plan of how, how you actually get there, right? The income tax makes up half of the state general revenue budget, right? The surplus we're talking about, half of that comes from income taxes. Um, so, you know, you have to have a plan of how you do that. And so that's where, you know, we think we can be helpful in, you know, saying how could you do this? What have other states done? Uh, no state's ever really fully eliminated the income tax other than Alaska because of all their oil revenue. But, you know, Tennessee had a, had a tax on not wage income but on an investment income that they just eliminated over the past 10 years. So Tennessee, right next door, I think most people know, doesn't have a personal income tax on wages. Uh, they also don't now don't have a tax on investment income. And they phased that out over a period of 10 years, uh, and they had a plan of how they're going to do it. They said, we're going to make these small cuts. We're going to restrain spending growth so that the, it's possible to do this within our budget. And they were able to do that. Now, that's a much smaller part of their revenue picture than our income taxes. Uh, but I think that having a plan like that is how you actually get it done rather than just kind of talk about it. But I think with the small cuts that have been done incrementally over the past six or seven years, I mean, that's way over maybe a 30-year time frame that you could get also to having no income tax. Um, but that does mean that you're leaning on the other taxes, sales taxes and property taxes, uh, more heavily than you were before uh, as a percent of all your revenue. So I think that's just that's kind of the trade-off. Okay, so to not use a term that I find abhorrent, <laughs> it's called when they start saying things are revenue neutral, mm-hmm. that tells me if you're cutting over here, they're raising something over there right. to, to make up for it. Can you Can you make those cuts without making cuts in spending? Uh, All right, now we're back, and <laughs> let's go back to where we were at. Uh, by the way, that storm center that they're talking about is moving southerly and should impact us around noon today. So keep that uh, keep that in mind uh, as well. What were we getting into? Well, you're asking about, you know, can you have you know, oh, big tax cuts? You have cuts? to cut. You have to cut spending. spending. I mean, if you do small tax cuts, you actually don't. So if you look at the income tax that the legislature has passed in the past couple of sessions, um, because they've been so small, you essentially absorb it by the budget growing. So the budget grows every year, right? As incomes grow, uh, the budget gets, you know, about, you know, a few percentage points larger every year. And so you can do small income tax cuts or any kind of tax cuts you want uh, without without having to have spending cuts. Uh, now, that would mean that the state budget isn't growing as much, mm-hmm. um, but so you can do small ones. But if you want to have large tax cuts in a short amount of time, that is where you actually do have to look at um, uh, spending cuts. And so that's why, you know, again, where we talk about where we can be, you know, hopefully helpful is to look at, you know, if someone says they want to get rid of the income tax, the question is over what time frame, and then that, that determines how you do it. Um, 
But uh, I think there's you know, a bit of research that suggests that uh, lowering income taxes and, and especially on the corporate side, lowering the corporate income tax is one of the big ways to increase economic growth in a state. Um, so it's certainly, I think, something that is really worthwhile for the legislature to look at in the next session, as, as they have done in the past few as well. Um, the other big thing, and we have a couple more minutes here, but yeah. the other big thing is to look at lots of different ways that the legislature could reform our laws, which make it easier for people to find jobs. I think this is especially important as we are getting into a potential recession, uh, maybe a recession which there isn't as much unemployment, as I said earlier, as before. Um, but we have a lot of uh, licensing laws and other laws like that in Arkansas, which make it harder for people to find jobs hard for people to change jobs. Uh, if we're talking about attracting people to the state, um, sometimes it makes it harder for people who are new to the state to get jobs in certain industries. And so I think that this is something that they also have an ongoing working group on this question of, of occupational licenses. And it's another area where at Acre we have a lot of research and, and a lot of access to research others have done as well that we could help with. Keep that all in mind. What's the website for you all so that people can keep up with uh, your policy papers? uca.edu slash A-C-R-E, Acre. Okay, and that will have your writings as well, correct? It'll have all of our writings, all of our research we've ever done. We have a blog that we update pretty regularly with what our most recent things that we've been doing. So, yeah, it's, it's all there. And, uh, of course, you could follow us on social media. All the links will be on there, too, to our Twitter and Facebook and everything else. Well, just so you know, I'm going to talk to Jeremy and see if we can't set him up starting in January where I can get him on at least twice a month to talk about what's happening with the general session. I'll be glad to do it. That way we can keep up to date with what, uh, you know, when they start throwing numbers around, it's just that. It's throwing numbers around for most people. You don't understand it. I don't understand it. Well, we'll get somebody up here that can cut through the the smoke and mirrors and maybe make <laughs> I'll, it. I'll do my best. <laughs> make it a little clearer to us as far as that. Jeremy, thanks so much. Of course, David. I appreciate great to be here. you coming Good on, to see and you. we'll have you back on uh, here uh, after the special session and talk about it. And then uh, we'll probably have you on after the election as we start, you know, ginning up everything for the uh, general session that's coming up next year. I'm going to be over at the Capitol on a regular basis so that we can keep everybody up and informed on what's going on. It's your money. I want you to know where it's going to. All right, Dave Ellswick Show. I'll see you tomorrow, 6 a.m. It's a Friday. That means Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett get it all underway at 6 o'clock. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.